Every year, in many countries in the world, there is an event. Each spring, like clockwork, it comes around. We mark the day with complaints, grumbles, missed appointments. But when it does come around, it's also followed by a rise in death. Heart attacks, strokes, even car accidents go up. The event? It's daylight savings. Each spring, when we lose an hour of sleep to our clocks changing, there is a small but noticeable rise in deaths the following week. Can throwing our bodies out of sync just by an hour really have such an impact? Maybe. This is Hormones The Inside Story, the podcast from the Society for Endocrinology, where we're taking a look at the tiny things inside us pulling the strings. I'm Georgia Mills, and this time, can we hack our hormones to beat jet lag? Whether it's daylight savings, working night shifts, a new baby, or anything else that's keeping you up at night, most of us know the unpleasant feeling that comes with having your body out of step with your time zone, craving breakfast in the evening, crashing out at lunch, generally feeling pretty useless. So over this episode, we're finding out the hormones at play that keep us asleep at night and awake during the day, seeing what happens when that goes wrong, and how we can use hormone science to get back on track. And on the way, we're going to meet some athletes who shocked scientists by being completely immune to jet lag. But first, it's time to go to sleep. So sleep is something that we all experience. It's part of our daily routines. We actually spend a third of our time in sleep, which is just an incredible thing when you think about it. This is Jamie Thakra, a PhD student at Bristol University. She spends her time researching hormones and how they interplay with the brain. I think what I've always been interested with neuroscience um, is I just like to understand, you know, what makes us who we are, what what makes our brains work in the way that they do. Which, as you can probably imagine, not the easiest of pursuits. Unfortunately, the more I learn about the brain, the more I realise I don't know. (laughs) I caught up with her to chat sleep, hormones and the body clock. So sleep is a state of mind and body. It's characterised by altered consciousness and relatively inhibited sensory activity. Uh, And what we find is sleep is that it occurs in repeating periods. So the body alternates between two distinct modes, REM sleep and non-REM sleep. And um, so REM sleep is what we call rapid eye movement sleep. It's just shortening of that. And this this mode of sleep has many other aspects, including virtual paralysis of the body. So that's what we say when we talk about sleep. It's sort of a a state of altered consciousness for the body. And although we're sleeping for so much of our lives, it's still kind of a mystery as to why we need it. But we have some ideas. Professor Mike Niedergaard from the University of Rochester discovered that a network of microscopic fluid-filled channels exist in the brains of rats that clears waste chemicals from the brain. So we think that sleep is an important opportunity for the brain to be cleared of waste. And uh, this professor described it as you can think of it like having a house party. You can either entertain the guests or you can clean up the house, but you can't really do both at the same time. (laughs) Uh, which I thought was a fantastic way to think about sleep as as this completely altered state of consciousness where we're doing almost, almost the opposite of what we're doing when we're awake, but we're still active. So sleep is perhaps the brain clearing out from the party of thoughts and activities during the day. 
cataloguing the memories and maybe chucking out the odd unwanted guest. And what is crystal clear is that if you don't get enough, things can get really bad. So we understand that sleep is really important for um, uh, metabolism, immune function, disease resistance, memory consolidation. We've also shown that a lack of sleep or getting poor quality sleep increases the risk of disorders, including high blood pressure, cardiovascular disease, depression and obesity. And there's also evidence that in conditions of memory loss, like Alzheimer's disease, that sleep is really important for how the disease progresses. I mean, we all know the feeling, right? Not getting enough sleep. The whole day you feel sluggish, your brain's not working. And long term, it is super dangerous. So to make sure we do get enough sleep, how are our hormones regulating our sleeping behaviour, making us tired at night, awake in the morning? In mammals, concentrations of hormones actually fluctuate across day and night. Numerous hormones are directly affected by sleep, feeding and other behaviours. You might think that the daily rhythm in sleep and other behaviours fully explain the existence of a day-night rhythm in hormone levels because that's what we see. But actually hormones are affected by an endogenous timing system as well. So that's sort of a natural timing system within us. AKA our body clock or circadian rhythm as it's more formally known. We have little timers inside our brain, even in every cell in our body, that tick away and regulate our hormone levels. And that's what we talk about when we talk about circadian rhythms and endogenous rhythms. So a circadian rhythm is a rhythm that follows the day-night cycle. And um, we have an endogenous rhythm of around 24 hours, which tends to match that. Um, but actually, when the day-night cycle around us changes, so if our daily behavior falls out of sync with our endogenous system, so for example, people who do things like shift work or you know people who suffer from insomnia, they're not actually in sync with their daylight cycle, and this actually affects their normal hormone variation. Or jet lag which is what happens when you travel quickly across time zones so your internal body clock gets out of sync with the day-night cycle in your destination. Whatever the reason, being awake when your body thinks it should be asleep, or vice versa, messes with these regular hormone cycles. We have a clock system and one of uh, the master clock is in an area of the brain. That The timing and the rhythms that this clock generates really tells our body what time of day it is. This is Deborah Skeen, Professor of Neuroendocrinology at the University of Surrey. The clock is directly responsible for generating circadian rhythms in important hormones. And two of these clock-generated hormones, one is melatonin and the other is cortisol. And these are sort of like the yin and yang hormones because melatonin as a hormone is produced at night and it begins to be produced before we sleep so it almost prepares our body for sleep. And then on the other hand cortisol is a hormone that begins to rise before we wake up preparing our body to be in wake-up mode or whatever your personal close approximation to wake-up mode is giving us extra glucose and more energy. So melatonin for sleep cortisol for wake. And it's these two hormones that tell the rest of our body that it's daytime and nighttime. So our hormones rise and fall signaling day and night. 
and if day comes at the wrong time, like you've flown into a new time zone or it's daylight savings, our signals are the wrong ones. But what effect does this have on our brains and our bodies? Well, to find out more about the impact of flipping time zones on performance, I took a closer look at one particular group of people. Baseball players can be bitten by jet lag. This is Domingo Tortonisi, a veterinary surgeon and researcher at the University of Bristol. Jet lag alters in, in a negative manner your cognitive and your physical performance. So when you are moved from a given time zone to a different time zone, your body clock needs to adjust to a new time in that uh, zone. And that takes a long time for humans. And that causes a detrimental effect on performance, particularly if the flight was eastwards. People flying across the world for a sporting fixture don't usually have 10 days to wait for their body clock to speed up. But there is one athlete who seems to be immune to this effect, or at least reacts quite differently. The horse is the only species apart from humans that are transported across time zone uh, for competitions. Uh, polo players have noticed when they fly the, their ponies from Argentina to the Northern Hemisphere and then come to, to the UK to play, the, the horses play for a week or so and then they stop playing, meaning they don't perform as well as they used to. They have a big problem with that. So horses are fine for that first week. They don't get that jet lag related dip in performance until around a week later, which is something of an oddity. Because I am very fond of, of horses and I've been bringing horses since I was a child, I, I was aware of this problem. So, loving all things horse and all things science, Domingo took matters into his own hands. We decided to look at it from a scientific point of view uh, by simulating jet lag. So that we bought uh, thoroughbred horses that had proven racing record and brought them to Bristol and we put them in light control rooms. The horse ends up in a standardised environment. They all get the same type of training and food. And the only thing we changed was the light-dark cycle, meaning the time when lights are on and are off, mimicking a flight across seven time zones. And with that, you can assess exactly what the effects of jet lag are. The hypothesis was that the horse was going to suffer the consequences of jet lag in a similar way that humans do. But we found uh, the opposite. We found that horses uh, recover extremely quickly to a phase shift, to a change in a 24-hour light-dark cycle, similar to what they would experience if they travel across time zones. The horse is adapted in no time at all. But that wasn't what really surprised Domingo. The process of recovery allows them to perform better athletically. So that means that the horses, for example, were able to gallop at full speed for 25 seconds longer than the day before. And although that appears to be insignificant, 25 seconds before reaching fatigue is a lot. Uh, that, that shows that the, the horse is adjusting to the new time zone extremely fast and that process of adaptation enables the animal to perform better. So horses don't get jet lag. What's more, they actually perform better after having their light-dark cycle destabilised. 
It was very surprising for us what we were finding because it was the opposite to what we were expecting. And we had never encountered anything like this. Domingo found that this boost was from a hormone called prolactin. It has hundreds of effects, but is known to affect performance. But why do horses react so differently to humans? Well, to find out, they did a second experiment. Instead of controlling the daylight cycle, they removed it. No regular feeding schedule, irregular exercise, no light. This means you can find out what the endogenous clock, the internal clock, is doing without being reset by light. It's been done in humans, and this is how we found out most of us have an internal clock near to around 24 hours. But it's never been done in horses. In order to not let them know what time of the night it was. So every night we were training at different times. So we wanted to avoid any cue that would be giving the horse an idea of what time of the day it was. Which meant for him and his team getting up at all sorts of hours in the night. Uh, uh, we were jet-lagged, but the horses were not. And again, the findings surprised everyone. We found that horses, when subjected to constant darkness, do not have any rhythm at all. There was no rhythm already on the first day. Horses didn't have a slow internal clock, or even a fast one. They didn't really have an internal clock at all. It was completely dependent on light. They're using light to express their rhythms, which makes them light-dependent, meaning horses are exquisitely sensitive to light, and they need light to express their biological rhythms. That's why when we switch them to a different time zone, like jet lag, they can adjust so quickly. So this was why polo players found their horses were absolutely fine for that first week after travelling. There were no effects of jet lag. And if you're wondering about that dip in performance after that first week, well, it turned out there was a completely different effect going on, which was to do with crossing the equator, changing seasons rather than changing time zones. But unfortunately, when it comes to jet lag, we don't have that horse superpower. But Domingo's research does raise an important type of treatment. Back to Deborah. Light directly affects the timing of this molecular clockwork. When you expose yourself to light, it gives a kind of message to your brain that it's the daytime, and especially blue light, which is the kind of light we get in the morning. This effect is leading to some concerns about the blue light given off by our screens on things like our phones and laptops. Some scientists are sounding the alarm that if we're using them late at night, this could be giving our internal clock messages that it's time to get up, maybe even giving us tiny nightly doses of jet lag, which is why it's really important to remove screens from our bedrooms. But used effectively, light can help us to beat jet lag or give us a boost in the morning. Which is why it's a good idea to throw those curtains open as soon as we wake up, give us a blast of light and tell our brain it's daytime, time to get moving. Which is really important because our internal clocks aren't quite right. So I would say 80% of humans have a clock speed that is longer than 24 hours. There's an easy way to get an idea if your clock is a slow or a fast one. If you're a morning person, it's probably on the fast side. And if, like me, you find mornings pretty hellish, it probably runs a bit slow. But thanks to light, fast or slow, our clock can be reset each morning. I think the most important part about these clock speeds 
is that every day, therefore, we need to see light to be able to reset our clock each day so that we remain on track and synchronized to our 24-hour light-dark cycle. But there are a group of people who cannot use light in this way to reset their clock. Now, totally blind people have no conscious light perception, so they don't know whether it's day or night. Um, And so they have no signal from the environment to their body to tell them what time of day or night it is. And so their body clocks sort of free run at their own cycle length. We all have body clocks that have a specific cycle length, but every day these clocks are reset because we see light and the light resets our clock to the 24-hour light-dark cycle that we live on because we live on Earth. Now, blind people don't have this, totally blind people, And, and of course this makes them extremely tired during the day when they have to be functional and perform and work and then of course when they try and go to sleep at night their clock is telling them to be awake and alert. Without functioning light receptors in the eye your body clock will run at whatever your internal clock timing is. So even if it's just a few minutes off over time it gets more and more out of sync. So essentially, half your life you can end up being jet-lagged without going anywhere. Yeah, I mean, some totally blind people who we've studied and speak to have said that, you know, they don't mind actually being blind. They find the, the coping with the sleep deprivation that is brought about by this disorder that they have is more debilitating for them than their actual blindness. The good news, though, is that we can circumvent the need for light and go straight to the action of the hormones. Remember the yin-yang hormones, melatonin and cortisol? Melatonin is the one that prepares you for sleep, and it's actually available in tablet form. By taking melatonin each night, the melatonin is able to synchronise a blind person's body clock And this means that they are able to sleep well during the night and have a good solid block of sleep and then are alert during the day. So it's very important that we try and align their clock system with their sleep-wake cycle. And melatonin is the only drug so far that is able to do that in totally blind people. So melatonin can tell the brain it's time for sleep and reset the clock without needing the light. Well, we think it's working directly at the level of this clock, this master clock that we have in the hypothalamus. Um, And there are receptors, there are melatonin receptors there at, at that level. And we know also that the light works at the level of uh, this clock as well by directly innovating this area of the hypothalamus. So both light and melatonin are working at the level of this master clock in the hypothalamus. And so melatonin is becoming a very popular drug for jet lag and for insomnia. Some people anyway, even without flying, just in their homes at night when they're in bed, 
uh, do take it to help them go to sleep more quickly. So we can essentially hack our hormones and tell our brains it's time for sleep. But hormones rarely do one thing, we know this. So is it actually safe? These studies have been done for 30 years now and have built up. Um, For example, um, in America, uh, melatonin as a drug is available uh, in health food stores because it's not considered a medicine. It's classified as a food uh, supplement. Uh, And so indeed, uh, people can buy uh, melatonin and and use it uh, for jet lag. And in these studies and in the jet lag studies uh, that have been done, very few side effects have been shown for melatonin. The most common side effect is the sleepiness that you may get. Uh, So we recommend taking melatonin uh, in bed uh, when uh, before you sleep or If you do have to take it in an evening, then ensure that you you don't uh, drive after that. Um, But apart from that, some reports of a little uh, nausea or headache have been reported, but no major side effects to melatonin. And of course, if you think of all the people that might self-medicate in the US on melatonin, and the rarity of side effects that have been reported, I think that almost confirms um, the controlled studies that have been done. So by and large, this treatment seems to be working, with serious side effects being somewhat rare. And Deborah and other scientists are still searching for other ways to hack our clocks. We've just begun to start investigating where the food and the timing of food can be a time cue and we suspect that that is true Uh, it's been shown in animals and we recently have been the first to show that this may occur in in people Um, uh, likewise exercise as a time cue so um, when we have more time cues at our disposal then just in the same way I've discussed melatonin uh, as a drug being a time cue, we could perhaps think of uh, food, exercise, um, and using those two time cues in addition to melatonin and addition to light to reset your clock. And, And using them all together at the right time, depending on the findings that we get, might more quickly help us to synchronize when we, for example, move across time zones or when, for example, we do night shift work. Right. I, I, you mentioned food. I think I remember hearing that the Queen had a trick where she just ate some barley sugar. Is, can that help then, just um, eating at the right time or, or are there any specific things you can eat that are better for curing jet lag? We need more studies on that. Are there specific foods and uh, food uh, groups, uh, carbohydrates or fats or proteins, that may do this better. Because our first early study, the meals were all the same. We didn't start manipulating the food composition. But these are the next questions that need to be addressed in human uh, studies. There's some evidence in animal work that by by changing the type of food 
that you give animals, this can affect the timing of the clock. So there's a lot of potential for, for more studies here. So is the queen onto something, or is she just partial to travel sweeties? We'll have to wait for the results of all this research to know for sure. But for now, what we already know about how hormones and light drive our internal biological mechanisms is opening up all kinds of possibilities, good and bad, for fiddling with the settings of our body clocks to keep us healthy, well-rested, whatever the time of day. Thank you to Jamie Thakra, Domingo Tortonisi and Deborah Skeen for their help with this episode. Next time, we will be diving deep into the hormone that's going undercover as a vitamin and asking whether an over-the-counter supplement can really protect us from COVID-19. Do join us then. Hormones the Inside Story is a podcast from the Society for Endocrinology. You can explore more about the world of hormones at yourhormones.info. You can follow them on Twitter at SOC underscore E-N-D-O, or you can find them online at endocrinology.org. This show was produced by me, Georgia Mills, and Kat Arney was the executive producer. It was made by First Create the Media. Thanks very much for listening and see you next time. <laughs>